Good morning. My name is Stephen. If you're new around here, I'm the pastor. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're glad you're here. You're joining us in the, uh, the middle of a series that we're in called uh, Reformation, How to Create a Counterculture. And in the world that we live in right now, creating a counterculture simply means this, obeying and following Jesus uh, living for his truth and letting it guide and direct everything that we do. I will say this, this series, uh, it's, it's not for the weak, it's not for the faint of heart. This is a, a get up and go do something type of series. We're not just uh, talking philosophically, we're talking about what action can we take as a body of believers committed to Jesus uh, to create a counterculture and to bring forth uh, a reformation that we believe our society and our culture needs. And so uh, this all kind of started a couple of months ago. We did a series called Clear Truth for a Confused World. And in that, we just laid out some very clear truths that the world uh, is combating right now. Uh, and then that carried us into the new year. And we've been talking now, what are the action steps? And oftentimes we'll hear things, they charge us up, but we go, okay, but what do I do? This series is a response to the question, what can we do? What can we do as the body of Christ? And so the first half of the series uh, was really internal. Uh, what does God want to do inside of you? What does he want to do in your marriage? What does he want to do in your family? And then the second half of the series has been more, what can we do together as a group of believers? And so week one of this, uh, we talked about we can build strong churches. And what's a strong church? It's a, a church that um, unashamedly promotes and defends the full truth of God's word. And all of this is then built on Jesus Christ. And that, uh, last week we talked about the next thing we can do is we can form tight-knit community. And a tight-knit community is centered around the person of Jesus. The thing that draws us together most is our mutual love for Christ, that we have been brought in, uh, adopted as his sons and daughters, uh, as the father's sons and daughters into the family. Uh, and so that's what we talked about last week. Today then, what we're going to talk about is this, creating alternate institutions. Now, at the end of this, I'll talk about the very practical way that we're planning on doing this here at Redemption and how we can all participate in that. But remember the title, to create alternate institutions. Now, I'm really going to talk about one particular, uh, um, I guess, like avenue or path uh, of our current society that I think is, is maybe the most critical. In fact, I would say this. We can't talk about re reformation and a counterculture without talking about what we're going to talk about. Uh, and my objective this morning is to show you how it is unbelievably biblical uh, that we talk about this. And what I'm talking about is the, the context of uh, education. Education. And uh, education in its, in its proper sense, uh, but then comparing that to what education looks like in our modern day. Now, most of the time, you guys have been around here for a while, you realize, uh, or you have seen, I, I don't really offer a lot of disclaimers often in what comes out of my mouth, okay? Um, other than that, it's hopefully biblical. Uh, but this morning, I do want to offer just a couple of disclaimers before I get into this. So we're all on the same page, and I don't unnecessarily turn someone off totally okay with necessarily turning somebody off, okay? Don't want to do that unnecessarily. So here are my four disclaimers this morning. Disclaimer number one, I am not saying that all government-run schooling is evil. Disclaimer number two, I'm not saying that you are failing as a parent if you send your child to a government-run school. Disclaimer number three, I'm not saying that everyone who works in a government-run school is evil. Uh, in fact, I would say this, that Christians working in government-run schools is a very noble and worthy cause. Number four, I am not saying that if you went to a government school uh, that you're a fool or that your degree is worthless and you wasted all of your money, okay? Everyone take a deep breath. Whew. Okay, 
Also, this is kind of funny, but the person who's running our slides today is a public school teacher, okay? So early on, I said, if I say anything you write, don't turn everything off, okay? Um, with all of that said, let me say these words. Our education system is whacked out, okay? And there are some issues, and there are some problems, and we're going to address some of them this morning, but we're going to address them from a biblical lens because that's what we do here. We go to the scriptures and we see what it says. Uh, the first thing I want to do is answer this question that might be in your head. Uh, should we even be talking about this? Well, uh, some people came up to Jesus, and they were highly educated people, by the way, and they said, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Like, can you just summarize the entire Old Testament for us, the Torah, the law? Can you summarize all of it for us in a statement, Jesus being as brilliant as he is, said, yes, I can. And so he lays out this statement, and he says, and then maybe you've heard this before, he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, mind. Now, this morning, as I talk about education, for some of you, it might be uh, easier for you, every time I say the word education, for you to hear the word or say to yourself, discipleship. Because part of what I'm talking about this morning is the fact that education, uh, as it's supposed to be classically understood, is actually not different. In fact, I would say it's almost synonymous with our modern, like, spiritual understanding of the term discipleship. Because what is discipleship about and what is classic education about? It is about the full forming of the human heart, uh, the soul and the mind. Real or true or proper education isn't just about the indoctrination of facts, but about the forming of the human being. That's what education was supposed to be. Now, it has become something vastly different. We'll talk about that a little bit. But education that we want as our, for ourselves, education that we're supposed to want for our children in particular, is to form the whole person. In what ways? Heart, soul, and mind. Of course, the mind. In fact, much of the scriptures talk about the power and the necessity of having a redeemed mind or a mind built on truth. And so, uh, yes, I do think this is very important. Uh, in fact, in that uh, reference that James referenced when he was praying, which is the Great Commission, it starts off like this. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You don't know what the next word is? Teaching them. Educating them. In fact, the, the very essence of the Great Commission and then the very result of the Great Commission that we would summarize the greatest commandment by loving the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, and mind. Both of them, the beginning of it and the conclusion of it, are tied to the idea of discipleship or education. This is absolutely essential. So uh, I don't always do this either, uh, but I do have a summary of my notes uh, this morning, and you can grab, it out, uh, grab one on the way out today. All of my notes are on there. On the back, then, uh, is the five next steps that we're talking about today, the very practical nature uh, of the next steps. And so please, everyone or every family, uh, grab one on your way out today uh, so that we can all be on the same page on this. So here's the big question, then. What is the biblical view of education? I'll say it one more time. Or discipleship. Uh, how do we learn? How do we grow? How are we formed heart soul, and mind. And this is, by the way, just as important for you, however old you are, as it is for our kids, though we do know, of course, the critical nature of educating our kids, right? But it is important for all of us. So what is the biblical view of, uh, of education? Here's my first answer. Answer number one. I have five answers. Answer number one. Education is built on Jesus and is rooted in ancient 
truths. Let me show you a passage of scripture uh, that I think will help us understand this. Uh, by the way, I normally uh, preach out of the ESV, the English Standard Version. This particular reference is the NLT, the New Living Translation, uh, because I think it says it really clearly, and I like, I like how it says it this morning. Uh, and so we're going to do that. Can you go ahead and throw that verse up there uh, this morning? I don't have an NLT Bible up with me, so I'll just use this. It says this, and now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Okay. Good, I want to continue to follow him. How do I continue to follow him? Let your roots grow down into Jesus. In other words, everything is built on Christ and let your lives be built on Christ. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth. There is no spiritual growth. And I would say this, there is no proper education forming of the heart, mind, and soul in the right way unless it is built on truth. All education is to be built on truth and uh, built on Christ and then built on the ancient truths. He says this, to grow uh, strong in the truth. So what we're supposed to do when we're being educated is to grow deeper and deeper or stronger and stronger, whatever metaphor you want, and to know more and more truth. Truth. Grow strong in the truth you were taught. You were educated. Somebody taught it to you. You sat under a proper educational perspective, and so you grew stronger and stronger in truth. All education, all training, all instruction is supposed to be built on truth. And what will happen when you do that? You will overflow with thankfulness. It'll be good for you. Uh, it'll bring joy. It'll bring peace. It'll bring hope when you are uh, educated in this way. Now, can I ask you a question? When we think of our modern education establishment, do we think, you know what I think this is really producing is a bunch of peaceful, hopeful students. If I could describe the average middle schooler or high school right now, it's peaceful and joyous. No. In fact, we see that when you build an educational establishment that is not built on truth, the results of despair, suicide, depression, confusion that is running absolutely rampant, we can't disconnect this to our understanding of education. And Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16, the prophet says this, thus says the Lord, stand by the roads and look and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it and find rest for your souls. Education that is built on truth, a life that is built on truth, the ancient truths will provide rest for your soul. Don't we all want that? The joy, the hope, the peace of just being settled is Aren't we all looking in absolute disgust at all of this transgender madness that we know is taking advantage of um, uh, adolescent girls and confusing them by removing any semblance of truth? It's happening. It's happening. What's supposed to happen? We're supposed to go, show us the ancient truths. Show us the ancient paths, the ones that we know will lead to goodness. But look at how they responded to the Lord. They said, we will not walk in it. We will not do that. The modern progressive lie is that we can discover new truths that will lead to peace. The scriptures tell us they will only lead to despair. They will only lead to despair. It is the ancient truths of scripture that will lead us to the good place. After this series wraps up, by the way, uh, we're going to do a series after Easter called this, 
This is your grandmother's church, okay? That's the, that's the name of the series we're going to do. And it's going to be, it's gonna, we're going to have a little bit of fun, okay? Uh, but here's the, here, I, think the, I think the tagline we've settled on is this. Timeless truths that never go out of style. Timeless truths that never go out of style. Now, one day, one week, we're going to do a 70s week, and I'm going to preach in some 70s gear. Okay, so that's going to be a little fun. All right? Now, um, some of you still have your 70s clothes. This will be perfect. All right? Um, why? Because those timeless truths that grandma taught you, those timeless truths that were being taught in the church 30, 40, 50, 300, 400, 500 years ago, are what lead to the good life. And that's what education, proper education, is supposed to produce that as well. Let's go back to our verse. Could you throw Colossians 2, 6, uh, and and 8 back up there for me, Amber? Uh, Look at what it says then here. It says, don't let anyone, anyone, let me just clarify what anyone might mean. Anyone might mean the school board. Anyone might mean the the principal. Anyone might mean the superintendent. Anyone might mean the new curriculum that they just purchased uh, that is rooted in this stuff. Anyone might mean the, the professor. Anyone might mean the college president. Anyone might mean any of those things. Don't let anyone capture you. And when it says you adult, in parentheses, you need to know that it is also saying or your children. Or your children. Don't let anyone capture. Why? Because if the truth sets you free, then the lies, and we know the father of lies is, if the truth sets you free, then lies capture you. It's like it's supposed to, we're supposed to see a picture, and the picture is a lot of education that is built on lies, and what it's trying to do is lasso or enslave or capture children with their lies. Look at then what it says next. It says, don't let anyone capture you. This is why I picked the NLT, because I love these phrases. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. Okay? There might be a little bit of high-sounding nonsense in our current world. Things that are so foolish that only an intellectual could come up with them. Okay? And you know them when you hear them. Like, uh, uh, the, the only way to fight racism uh, is to be racist. Well, that doesn't really make sense, because then we're perpetuating a problem, right? This is high-sounding nonsense. They are empty philosophies. And I preached a series a couple of years ago called Satan Hates Genesis 1, talking about how the enemy just started at the beginning of the book, because our book starts with, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the enemy's book starts with, no, he didn't. And so that empty philosophy, that empty philosophy that we just kind of came out of nowhere and there's no basis or purpose for life outside of what we can create in ourselves has uh, helped create a lot of the havoc and the madness that we live in today. And by the way, uh, these empty philosophies, fortunately, they have a name and they're easy to see in our current culture. And so uh, when it says don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies, let me just list out a couple of these. Cultural Marxism is an empty philosophy. Critical race theory, as it's being presented and uh, forced down, is empty philosophy. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, mostly as it's being taught, is empty philosophy. Uh, The 1619 Project, gender theory, queer theory, transgender theory, over and over and over. Empty philosophies that are being taught in order to capture minds. Why? Because anyone who's responsible for education, and remember, by the way, this is scary, because when you think about this, uh, the average kid between kindergarten and the senior year spends 16,000 years in the classroom. 16,000, did I say years? Yeah, they fail over and over and over and over 
okay? <laughs> Sorry. I, I almost just made a joke that I didn't make, and I'm so glad. Okay, all right. 16,000 hours. You're like, oh, wow, 16,000 edu- hours of education. Okay, but hold on. Let's throw another word in there real quick. 16,000 hours of discipleship from kindergarten to their senior year. But what are they getting discipled towards in those 16,000 hours? When you think about it that way, why are all of these things present? And by the way, the verse told us, where does it come from? From human thinking and from the spiritual or the elemental powers of this world. Where are those theories coming from? If they're not coming from scripture, there's no neutral ground. They're coming from the enemy. They're demonic. They're coming from the enemy, and they are coming to capture with lies, particularly (laughs) our students and our kids. Why? Because those who are in charge of education know that they have 16,000 hours to disciple or to educate our children and to arrive them at a conclusion. Abraham Lincoln summed it up this way. The philosophy of the schoolroom in one generation becomes the philosophy of government in the next. Okay? Abraham Lincoln's a pretty smart guy. Some of you look at our current world and go, I can't believe what's happening. You're looking at Washington, and to some degree, right, like both parties, right, and go, I can't believe we're thinking this way. What do you think it'll look like in 30 years? If this statement is true, then what do you think the philosophy of government will be 30 years from now if these are the prevailing things? And by the way, to suggest that this isn't happening, uh, all right, or that it's not happening more frequently uh, is akin to just burying your head in the sand. So get it out and realize what's going on in the world. That's number one. Number one, education is to be built on Jesus and rooted in ancient truths. Don't be captured. Don't let your kids be captured by the empty philosophies and the high-sounding nonsense that come from the enemy. Number two, here's my second answer. Education equips us to think critically, or it's supposed to. Education equips us to think critically and to participate in God's work. So you say, what's the point of education? What's the point of discipleship? What's the point of you to continue to grow and to learn, right? And so that you can think critically and then also be equipped to do all that God wants you to do. Let me show you this biblically. Leviticus 19.17. Okay, I pointed out this verse last week. You can go back and watch that little clip if you want. Uh, but but the, the point is this. In Leviticus 19.17, it starts off by saying, uh, don't hate your brother. Instead, reason frankly with your neighbor. Some of you, you are looking for a biblical reason uh, to understand uh, the, the, the phrase that has been thrown at you over and over the last three years where it says, do this, do that, embrace this, accept this. And then the tagline is always given at the end. It's the loving thing to do. It's the loving thing to do. So embrace it, accept it, do it, whatever it might be. It's the loving thing to do. And we, re- we learned last week in Leviticus 19, 17, no, the opposite of hate is to have a uh, rational, logical, truth-based conversation with somebody because the truth can set them free. And that society doesn't just get to shove things down our throats or make us do things uh, that are ridiculous and not based in truth just by tagging on the line at the end. It's the loving thing to do. No, it's not. The loving thing to do is to bring truth into the equation because truth produces freedom. Now, 
Why then does education go this way? Maybe because there's an aim by the enemy that if he can suck out the ability of the younger generation to critically think, then, in, then what can happen is you can just force and create whatever it is that you want because nobody will raise their hand and go, wait a minute, this doesn't sound right. You lied to me. You use the media to do it. And if you create a generation that can't do that, then you can do whatever you want. Which is why we need a generation of students who know what they believe, why they believe it, and how to defend why they believe what they believe so that when they see lies, they are mentally and intellectually equipped to stand up and say, I'm not buying it. I'm not giving in. You're not going to win this way. Now, let me give you one way, one way. By the way, and I said, remember, uh, create alternate institutions. There's three ways to do that. Uh, when we're talking about creating alternate institutions, one way is to start new ones. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, another way to create alternate institutions is to support the ones that already exist, okay? Uh, there is, by the way, one representative out in the lobby of one of those alternate institutions. It's called North Northwest Ohio Classical Academy. It's where Reagan's going to be going to school uh, next year. And a lot of our families and, and, and friends go to, to school there. So if you want to check that out, you can. Here's the best news about it. It's free. Okay, it doesn't cost anything. It's free. Okay, all right. Uh, the third thing that we can do in creating alternate institutions uh, is you can reform from within. And some of you might be called to do that. Okay, uh, but whatever that might be, on all three of those, uh, we have to have the same end goal in mind, right? Is that to, to create an education that is built on truth. One of them, I said, was to start new things. Some of you have been wondering maybe why we're we starting a college. Uh, well, let me give you our mission statement to equip students to think critically apply doctrine to all areas of life, and live missionally through the family, church, industry, and politics. That's why we're doing it. And some people, some people, uh, by the way, they, they like to use the internet for these types of things, but some people have said, oh, that's just dominion theology, and they're trying to use this as a negative term. Let me clear up something real quick. Saying that you should be changed by the gospel, and then the gospel should affect how you live in every part of your life is not some weird theology that's called basic Christianity, okay? Basic Christianity says the gospel changes me, and now whatever I would have done, be a teacher, be a uh, whatever, a run for office, whatever it might be, the gospel more than anything else is going to inform how I do this thing, okay? That's number two. Education equips us to think critically and participate in God's work. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, by the way, I didn't reference this, but it says all scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach correct, instruct, and train, and then at the end, so that we might be equipped. So if you and I want to be most used for the kingdom of God, we have to have a discipleship or education plan in our lives. We have to be constantly growing, and I'm going to talk a little bit how we can do that, but we have to be constantly doing that so that the, listen, the very nature of our mission, the, the gospel going out to the world is tied to this. Our continuing education or discipleship. I'll also say this, um, that if you look historically, and a great book for this, it's an easy read, it's called Person of Interest. Uh, you can see that it is Christians who believed this, the gospel changing them, and then it then uh, influencing how they lived. Uh, Christians believing that throughout the centuries uh, is what um, pioneered most fields. Health, medicine, uh, entertainment, music, uh, uh, politics, education, as we understand, like all, so much of this, it came out of Christians who believed this. The gospel changed them, and then they started pioneering and innovating out of and standing on truth. 
It is later than where the secularists come in and they commandeer things that the Christians have already established. Okay? That's why when you, you see those signs that are like, we believe in science. No, my God made science. Okay? I believe in science. Okay? I believe in actual science, not politically gerrymandered science. Okay? And, and, and Christians have always innovated and led in the sciences because we're the only ones who are actually standing on what is true in the world. And that's why it's happened. Number three. Both the parent or parents or grandparent or whatever, right, and the church are responsible for educating or discipling children and adults. Now, when I, when I say both the parent and the, and the church, what I'm saying is really this. The parent, ultimately, God gave them to you, okay, all right? And, and we don't replace or whatever, but we do see biblically that we are supposed to come along and support and serve the family, okay? And so we need a game plan. Uh, Ephesians 6, 4 says this. Fathers, do not exasperate your children, um, but lift them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Uh, Titus 2.1 says this, preach what accords to sound, or teach, preach or teach, to what accords to sound doctrine. In other words, teach what is true. Church, teach what is true. Parent, raise those kids up in the instruction and the discipline of the Lord. So we need a game plan in order to be able to do this. Uh, and if you wonder why the New Testament outside of that verse seems relatively quiet on the idea of child rearing uh, and this type of educational process, uh, it's because it would have been naturally assumed in a Jewish culture. It's so, it was so naturally assumed, right? They didn't even need to say it all that often. Paul would have never rolled into Ephesus, gotten the Ephesus church around him and like, hey guys, let's talk for a second about Christian education. Where are you guys sending your kids to school right now? They would have said, oh, we're sending them to Artemis school. What? If you send your kids to Artemis school, they're going to end up worshiping Ar Artemis, Right? It would have been so naturally assumed that it was the responsibility of the Christians there to educate and to raise up children. And so they would have done that. And this, by the way, has been understood for 2,000 years. Let me say this. Let me be abundantly clear. For 2,000 years, the family and the church has known that it was its responsibility to educate our children. Only in the last 60 or so years have we abdicated that responsibility to the government. The results are in. It's not working. It's not working, okay? And, and we need to be aware of this. And, and, and again, my job here today is not to tell you where to send your kids to school or anything like that. My job is to raise awareness. My job is to come along and support and serve, okay, in what decision you make for your family, okay? But it is to raise the, the necessity of what we're talking about. And I will say this too, uh, because some people have said this, like, why would a church start a college? Let me say this. If your end conclusion is that a church should not start a college, that can be your own opinion. But I want you to know that you are outside of 98% of the history of the church, Okay? So you're operating in some weird, like, 2% of this modern idea that we know how to do it better than they have for the last 16, uh, 1950 years. Okay? If you want to live there, that's fine. Okay? But uh, the church has always understood this to be its responsibility. Let me give you some examples. It was Christians meeting together in groups that led to uh, the modern university. As early as Ignatius of Antioch, who is um, uh, well-known uh, as, as the most... Um, respected and trusted, uh, one of them, of, of the early Christian historians, okay, in the first century, first century, okay, uh, Christian leaders were saying this. Here's the quote, written in the first century. 
Bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and teach them the Holy Scriptures. Amen, right? Absolutely. Look what he says next. And also the trades. This was first century. What was he saying? Uh, He goes on to say that they may not indulge in idleness. Okay, what was he saying? He was saying, teach these kids, teach them from a foundation of truth, teach them how to have a career where they connect their understanding of biblical truth with what they end up doing professionally. This was in first century. They already understood this. They understood it so much that one historical non-Christian scholar says this, Christianity had become for the first time a definite factor in the culture of the world. He's referencing the first 300 years uh, of the common era. Why? Not because of our preaching, not because of our churches, but because they had understood the establishment of educational systems. They said the Christians are taking over. How? Because they're educating the children. That's how, they're, that's how they're taking over, and that's how uh, their, 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 their movement is perpetuating. Almost like Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples, teaching them, train them, educate them. Let me give you some more evidence. Let's jump ahead a couple hundred years. Oxford. One of the uh, first of what we know is modern colleges, still a pretty respected institution today was founded in 1096 with the motto, God is my light. About 100 years later, another uh, pretty famous college, Cambridge, was founded with a similar motto. Luther, Martin Luther, who ushered in the first Reformation, we're talking about another one, was one of the first people to argue for universal education and literacy for children, and he did this, why? So that they could read the scriptures for themselves, be educated how to think critically, and not just receive brainwashing from the outside world, okay? Let's get even more recent, okay? In the last couple of hundred years I'm going to list off, uh, if you take a collection of different top lists of universities, let me list off 10 or so of them, and then I'll tell you what they all have in common. Harvard, MIT, Stanford, Cambridge, Oxford, Columbia, Princeton, Berkeley, Penn, Chicago, Yale, Michigan. Yep, I even had to say that one, okay? (laughs) All right? All of those, for all intents and purposes, you know, regarded in, in the world, great universities, the, the top notch of their universities. Let me tell you what they all have in common. They were all, all started by churches and Christians to instruct in Christian principle. All of them. Why? Because they knew something. They knew that in order to control the culture of the future, that you needed to dominate the higher education of the day. And guess what? They were right. The the schools that I just listed, do they have cultural influence? I believe it is accurate. Someone can fact check me afterwards um, that every one of our sitting Supreme Court justices right now graduated from one of those schools. Does that affect our culture? You better believe it does. They were right. He who controls higher ed will control culture in the future. This list tells us, I think it's time for a new list. 20 years from now, 40 years from now, 60 years from now. And somebody uh, said, you know, I've I've heard of other people starting colleges. Like, everyone's kind of doing that. Yeah, that's the point. 
The point is, God's moving through his Holy Spirit, and he's saying, we've got to do something. Let's go use the playbook that worked for 1950 years. Let's dust it off, and let's do it again. And friends, if Christian colleges are getting started all over the country, we don't want Northwest Ohio to be left out, okay? It's cold enough here as it is, all right? Let's bring some light. And let's, let, let, let's, um, uh, let's do our part in this. This is how the Holy Spirit is moving right now. He's moving through schools. He's moving through higher ed. He's moving through all of these things. And he's reminding the church, you got to take this thing back. Okay? That's number three. Number four, education is critical in the formative years. Critical in the formative years, and it is necessary at every major transition point. Proverbs 22, 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and he will not depart. Daniel 1, 17, uh, if you're unfamiliar with the biblical story, uh, the story of Daniel is the children of Israel have been taken captivity uh, to, to Babylon, and uh, their God does a work. He leaves them there for a long time to teach them some lessons, uh, but he uses some of them. And Daniel 1, 17 tells the story of the four he uses the most, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's what it says of them. As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. What was he saying? Let's take some educated people, put them in important positions, and have them live out God's ways instead, and that'll make a difference. Okay? Now, friends, this is something then that this principle should be applied universally, right? That it would be taught uh, that, that, our, that, our, that our, our, our educational in institutions would be rooted and built in truth. Now, education is critical in the formative years. It's necessary at every major transition point. And, and, and so I want to talk about some of those transition points. I also want to talk about what we can do together uh, as a church, how we think that we can help and serve. Obviously, our normal ministry outlets, Sunday morning uh, being one, our Wednesday night stuff that we do uh, by semester. We're off right now. We'll be back on in a couple of weeks. Uh, um, our youth group, which meets on Sunday nights for 7th to 12th grade, all of that kind of stuff, right? But in addition to that, a couple of other things I want to point out. Uh, this, is, this is our game plan, okay? Uh, and when I say education is critical in the formative years, parents, uh, I'm saying, like, let's all hop in on this together. We want to help, okay? And by the way, uh, if you're like, you're looking and you go, man, I'm a little behind or whatever it might be, that's fine. Grace, start today, okay? Uh, but the, the first thing, uh, for pre-K, uh, up until kids enter um, kindergarten, right, we're saying is this, uh, early catechism. And we're going to email this out so each of you can have it. This is what I do with Reagan each and every night, okay? Reagan's about to enter kindergarten. Her and I go through this each and every night, and this is how it works. I say to her, there is, she says, one God. I say the Bible is, she says God's word. I say sin, she says leads to death. I say but, she says Jesus saved me. I say when he, she says died on the cross. I said to pay, she says for my sins. I say and rose, and she says from the grave. I say so that, she says I can be made new. I say, now he, she says, lives in me. I say, through, she says, the Holy Spirit. I say, and I, she says, live for him. I say, out of, she says, the grace he has given me. Okay? Every night. Every night. And so we're going to email this out. If you got preschoolers, get them on this by the time that these truths are in. By the way, if you need it too, you can take one. Just say it's for your grandkids. Okay? All right. Because we should all know this. Because these are the ancient truths that do what? They bring peace and joy, and they secure our soul, okay? 
And so uh, we'll email this out again so you can, so you can grab one of those. Uh, first through sixth grade, okay, we have our Bible fact packs. There's 576 questions in here. We actually take six questions out because they don't align with our post-denominational manner, okay? So if you buy it online and you read six and you're like, I don't know about that one, it's probably one of the six that we normally take out, okay? Um, or if you really like them all, you're probably just more Pentecostal than everyone else. Okay, so... Um, you can, you can, you can, uh, if you have a kid from first to sixth grade and you've never gotten a free one of these from us, grab one on your way out today. Otherwise, just Google Fact Pack. And here's the goal. Uh, our hope would be that by the time our students are done with sixth grade, that they know every single one of these 570 questions. And these are the major facts of scripture. I can say this, this exact thing is what I was trained on. It's what my wife, Lindsay, was trained on. Some of you know Hannah, my wife's uh, sister, who gets up here and quotes entire uh, chapters or books of the Bible. This is what she was trained on in that age. And so we just want to make that available and encourage you and build our systems around. Let's learn these. Let's learn these. Let's learn these. In seventh and eighth grade, we have what we call extended catechism. Okay. These are 50 theological or doctrinal questions uh, that we help them go through uh, so that they might know. Uh, it's basically, these are more factual. These are doctrinal. And so then we're going to go over those. Um, these are kind of expensive to, uh, uh, and so what we'll do is we'll just make these available so you can pick them up for our cost. Okay. Okay, so we will, uh, we'll let you know about those as well, but you can grab these. Uh, and then uh, in high school, we have, our, again, our youth group that meets on, on Sunday nights. Okay, they're meeting tonight at 6. And, and then uh, you say, well, what about college? Well, we're starting one. Okay, that's how we're passionate we are about that one. And by the way, if you're wondering why do we start a college, um, the SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, we, we're grabbing some statistics from them, estimate that somewhere between 6 to 8, okay, uh, out of 10 students, okay, so let's just call it 7 or 8, right, out of 10 students abandon their faith in college. At some point in time, all of the Christian education in high school, all of the Christian education in elementary, all of the good youth groups that we need to continue to support and do all of that kind of stuff, at some point in time, we have to start addressing the other side of the equation. So that's why we're starting school. Okay? Uh, uh, and, and so there, and they say, well, what about me, Stephen? I'm out of college and all of that kind of stuff. What do I do? Okay, well, here we go. Okay? <laughs> it's only like 30 bucks on Amazon. Honestly, buy it. Start reading through it. Continue to educate yourself. When I knew I was going into ministry and I knew that I wasn't going to seminary, this was the first book I bought and I started reading it, okay? I already had a Bible, right? And, uh, and I started reading through it just to, to, to educate myself. And, and by the way, um, we are a post-denominational church, so some of you might get to a chapter and you go, I don't know about that one. Um, that's okay. Do what we always say. Discuss, don't divide, okay? Discuss, don't divide. But um, this is a great resource. There's not like a post-denominational systematic theology, okay? Uh, so I, I highly recommend this one. Uh, he, he's a well-respected theologian, and this is really helpful. Uh, and so you could do that in your life if, if you're looking for more, okay? And so that we can keep learning and we can keep growing. That was number four. Let me give you number five. Education plus the gospel unleashes powerful movement. We've talked a lot this morning about the forming of the mind, and true education does form the heart, the soul, and the mind. Uh, but there's a guy in the scriptures, a very, very highly educated man. His name was Saul. And he wrote something in 1 Corinthians that said this, that knowledge can puff up. And can it? Can't sometimes knowledge puff us up? It can make us prideful. It can make us arrogant. Unless what happens? The gospel breaks in. So friends, Education in, in the sense of fact learning and, uh, and training and institutionalizing, all of that kind of stuff is highly, highly important. In fact, look what Paul writes himself in Acts chapter 22. He says these words, Acts 22, 3. He says, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but brought up in this city. 
educated, educated at the feet of Gamaliel. Like the fact that he put his name in there was like, you all know this guy. It's one of the best. Let me translate. I went to Harvard, right? That's what he's saying. According to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. He had all of this knowledge. Look what happens. He tells his story. He says, as I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The guy who had memorized the first five books of the Bible and one of the most highly educated people uh, probably in the history of the world, one of the most brilliant men ever, right, comes face to face with God, and this is how he responds. And I answered, who are you? Who are you? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. I am Jesus of Nazareth. All of that stuff that you were studying all along, all those books you memorized, all of those verses, all of those conversations and discussions that you had, Jesus is showing up and he's saying, those were all about me. And what happens here? The gospel breaks into Saul's heart. And it changes him so much that his name actually gets changed to Paul. And you could argue he becomes one of the most influential human beings in the history of the world. Why? Because there's an incredible power when you take a solid framework and grounding of education and the gospel breaks in. God does incredible things. And friends, I want both for us. Let's learn. Let's keep learning. Let's root ourselves in these, in these truths, in the knowledge of the scripture, in theology, in doctrine, all of these things. Let's do it for our kids, but we can never forget the heart of the gospel. Oh, it's not just about the fact. It's not just about the memorization. Uh, it's always going back to remembering why, 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 why. Because Christ went to the cross, because he died for me, because he gave me new life, and now I live for him by the grace he has given me. And it's rooted back in Christ. The gospel and that kind of education, whoo, it can change the world. And it has, and it has been doing it now for 2,000 or so years. That's all I got for you this morning. I want to end with five practical steps that we can all take together, okay, in alignment with all of this. So again, you can grab this on a handout on your way out today. Number one, evaluate your and your children's educational needs and come up with a game plan, okay? Uh, again, there is one option on the lobby if you want to explore that. Uh, I hope all of these things that I've laid out for you today would be helpful in that. Whatever one you uh, choose, we're going to love you. We're going to come alongside and we're going to help, okay? Uh, but again, do that for your kids. Do that for yourself. Number two, um, I would say this, serving kids or youth ministry We need your help, and you're not babysitting kids. You are equipping and training the next generation of culture makers, okay? And so if you've been wondering, like, you know, do we need help back there? Listen, there are 175 kids every week, okay? Uh, That's a lot of kids and uh, and a lot of potential. And so get back there and help. It'd be awesome. Number three, run for school board. Run for school board. Okay, and, uh, and let me say this. Here's the good thing. I don't even know to, need to tell you who you are because you already know that your heart is going do 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 You know if you're equipped. You know if God's calling you to do it. And I would say this. Step up and do it. Run and, and stand for truth. And, and, and let's take a second here. It is not easy to be a teacher. It is not easy to be a principal right now. It is not easy to be a superintendent or an administrator that believes in the gospel. 
okay? And I think there is some grace we need to show. We're talking about retirements and pensions and lawsuits and all of this kind of stuff. You know who doesn't have to worry about any of that? School board people, because you don't even get paid, okay? You don't. You're just doing it to stand up for truth. And so, instead of casting stones, stand up, do something yourself, run for office, and make a difference, okay? And put yourself in the game, okay? Uh, and, 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 and let's go, because that's really where a lot of the control is, friends, right there. Uh, and, and so, step number, that's step number three, okay? Step number four, step number four is this. Um, help us launch Revere. Help us out. Let's do this together. And uh, believe it or not, believe it or not, starting a college is actually harder than planting a garden in the backyard, okay? And last week, we came this beautiful picture of Mayflower and what we're going to do back there. And we're so excited about that. And you guys responded amazingly, by the way. Thank you uh, on your response on the Mayflower. The starting a college is a little bit more involved, um, but we have an incredible team. And I want to say a couple of things first. The same care, integrity, and transparency that we have always shown in this church is the exact same care, transparency, and integrity that we will show in the starting of this college. We are going to move at the speed that God calls us to move. We are going to move with uh, integrity. We're going to move uh, just laying a good foundation. Our goal is still to open in the fall with a minimum of five students, okay? Um, but we're just going to move slow. We got to start somewhere. And we have to remember, this is not a six-month or a one-year play. This is a hundred-year play, okay? And so we're going to build a good foundation. I also want to say this because it means a lot to us around here, and we've worked really hard over six and a half years uh, to establish this, um, that uh, financial integrity is one of our stated seven values. And I want you to know that your giving to redemption is not just like an open line to the college. That's not our intention. It's not our intention for the church here just to solely fund this thing no matter what. Our intention is to make a one-time contribution to spearhead this project, and we've already done this, to ask the church and the Christian community in Northwest Ohio to come alongside of us as we're doing it, um, because if this is really what we want it to be and what we think God wants it to be, it's got to be way bigger than us, guys, okay? And so we are asking already, we're sending out a letter to all the other churches in town, we're saying, come and help us get this started. This is about what God is doing. It's not about what redemption is doing, okay? So come and partner with us, um, but we'll go first, We'll go first. And we're probably the only church in town crazy enough to do it, okay? So um, we'll go first. Uh, but I, I do want you guys to know that uh, as well. We, we feel compelled to be a spearhead. So when I say help launch Revere, here's what I mean. Uh, number one, hey, some of you, it might be the right place for you to attend. And we'd love to have you, okay? If you're in that like 18 to 20-something-year-old range, we have uh, one committed student right now out of the five we're shooting for, okay? Yeah, which is awesome. Um, and, uh, and, and so if you find yourself in that range, come talk to me. Don't let money stop you. No one gets a free ride, but we'll figure something out, okay? So come to talk to me. We know you're kind of a guinea pig, okay? We can be honest. Um, but we have a great plan and a rigorous education, and all of, uh, almost all of our instructors line up, all but one, okay? Uh, and, and they're intelligent, and they're, they're brilliant, and, uh, and, and we have a really good plan. And so, yeah, you're a guinea pig, um, but you're a guinea pig to a really good thing, okay? So come on. We'd love to meet with you. Uh, number two, we are still looking for somebody with a master's or higher uh, in the area, particularly of like history or the political science realm. And so if you fit into that category, talk to Deanna on your way out today. She'll be standing out there. She's wearing a Revere sweatshirt. She'd love to chat with you. Okay. And other people who are teaching, we will have future classes and we'd love to connect with you as well. Uh, but particularly those of you who are practitioners, 
Get in, okay? Uh, man, this is the whole thing that we're doing, right? And we want to get you in. Uh, you can help us recruit, and that's maybe, you know, uh, some homeschooling networks or some Christian schools or whatever it might be, or some students who might be interested. We're having a Revere Interest Day on April 18th, and we're just going to say, this is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what we feel like God has compelled us to, to create and to start. And so come on, join us on April 18th. We'd love to have, have you. Um, offer internships. That's another way to get involved. If you run a business, own a business, lead in a business, uh, we want a nice, a nice list of paid internships. And I'm going to say this. This is just a prediction. But I think in five to ten years, we're going to have businesses all over Northwest Ohio coming to us saying, um, do you have any more graduates? I want to hire them. Okay? I want to hire them because they have integrity. I want to hire them because they have character. I want to hire them because they actually show up. I want to hire them because they, uh, uh, because they don't have a victim mentality. I want to hire them because they're ready to go and they're ready to work. Okay? Uh, and so help us get started in that if you have the opportunity to offer paid internships. Partner with us in that. Okay? Now, let me get to the last one. Uh, and that is this. You can help us get started financially. We project it's going to take about $150,000 for the first 12 to 18 months. I don't know if that sounds high or low to you. Okay? That's like an undergrad at Michigan. Okay? And we're talking about starting the entire college <laughs> for that. And, uh, I mean, the first year's accreditation cost alone are $20,000. Okay, uh, and so then you talk instructors and all of this other stuff. Um, and here's what we're going to do as a church. Okay, and the elders, we've all prayed about this. Um, we're contributing fifty thousand dollars one time as a church. Okay, because we believe in this. And then here's really cool. Uh, it's really cool. Somebody in our church. Okay, not an elder, not somebody on the Revere board, but somebody in our church uh, has stepped up and has also offered fifty thousand dollars. Okay, to, to help us get started. Um, so that puts us at 100, and here's what we're asking, guys, is as a congregation, can we raise the last 50 uh, by Easter, and, um, and, and so I, we're just asking you to pray about it, and um, there's a lot of different ways you can give, um, just from a practical perspective, grab the handout on the way out, and um, here's cool, somebody relatively new to our church came up to me after the first service, and he said, I got your first 10 grand, okay, so um, we're, um, like God, um, he keeps sending the right people, guys. It's been amazing. And we're committed to this because we think um, this is how God is going to move into the future. And if you're excited about what God is doing, if you're looking at it and you say, I want to see something happen, I want to see change happen, I think this is one of the strategies that God is employing. And um, I think God has given us a church and a base here to spearhead this in our city. And so let's work together. Let's keep praying. We'll always walk in integrity like we always do, and we'll see what God wants to do. Okay? All right. Uh, Frank and Tom, why don't you guys come up here real quick? Um, these are our two elders, and I'm bringing them up just because, um, well, for a lot of reasons, um, but, but one is just like, we understand that this is like not normal, to stand in front of everyone and say, hey, we're starting a college. And so I just want you guys to see the unity that is on our team, our decision-making team here. Uh, I also wanted to, uh, you to hear from them. That's on. Um, to hear from them a little bit and their perspective on this. Uh, and I guess, that's, I guess that's it. So this is, uh, if you're new around here, we have three elders, Frank, myself, and Tom. Okay? Uh, and, and so I wanted them to share a little bit. Okay. Go ahead first, Frank. Um. How many of you that have uh, gone to college wish maybe you would have known a little bit of this before you went? <laughs> Me too. Me too. I graduated from college with a degree to be a teacher, uh, thinking I was supposed to be a teacher. Uh, I taught school one year. <laughs> after, after that, I went into construction material sales, 
and everything went really pretty well, pretty well. But it wasn't until I was able to understand that I wasn't really working for my company, I was really working for God. And it just changed everything. It changed my success. It changed how my company looked at me, where they brought me forth in some of the major meetings of the year and asked, can you come and pray first for us? So it, it just changes everything. And I, that, that's one of the reasons why I want to support Revere College. The second reason is, and you mentioned it, having integrity. Integrity is very important to me. And knowing that we are going to face um, certain situations, uh, problems, whatever they may be, uh, I think of our parking lot. A parking lot took its how many months, and we have we're gone, still waiting. Yeah, we have gone through I can't tell you how many different township regulations, state regulations, sign this, sign that, we gotta check this, we gotta inspect that. We're getting there, and we're doing it all with integrity. Mm -hmm. This is the way I want to make sure that it's gonna be done, and I can tell you right now, the four people that are involved, Stephen, Deanna, John, and Keith, all of them have integrity, and they want it done without any compromise. I also have two, two scriptures that mean a lot to me. And Stephen already uh, mentioned one, but I'll mention it again. The first one is Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. The second one is 2 Timothy 3.16.17, which he mentioned. I'll read it again. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Those three things mean uh, a lot to me. I hope they mean a lot to you, too. And uh, I, I think of the thing that we're We've read in Asbury and other colleges of the revival and young, the youth being revived. And uh, I think that it's also spread now to the older people, the adults, seeing what the kids are doing. And now we want our kids to be able to uh, experience that, and we want to be a part of it. So I just thank you. Amen. Thanks, Frank. Morning. How's everybody doing? Good? All right, cool. Um, there was a gentleman that I uh, called out and thanked in the earlier service. His name was Jerry Marco, but it was a godly man that came around me. I went to Owens Tech. I did the diesel program, so I'm part of the trade school. It unleashed into something that I never realized could happen, but God gave us, uh, my wife and I, a, 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 basically a godly business to run. And I wish that I had other godly men in my life that would start me on the right path. And this college basically does that. It says, hey, we're going to take this back. So for us, it is something to where we're going to pick up the sling, we're going to pick up the stones. If education is the giant, why don't we throw it together? Amen. I'm very fortunate to have my son work for who's sitting in the back, maybe. <laughs> but we had a question. 
I, I presented it with it. We were just talking about life, and I said, there's three questions. Should it be said? Should it be said by me? And should it be said now? If we don't do it now, we don't get the ability of, of a five-year or a ten-year snapshot of what it really is going to look like. So let's start now. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this time. I pray for this body of believers who have come here today. Lord, that if this is your will, Father God, that even the obstacles that come our way, Lord, that we will stand firm and strong. And Father, that we will come around and we will be the ones who you ask, did you do something? And we will say, yes, we did. So Lord, be with us and keep us. Father, we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you'd like to take a next step with Redemption Church, visit us online at experienceredemption.com slash connect card. You can also give online to support the work of Redemption Church. To explore your giving options, visit experienceredemption.com slash give online. We hope that the message you heard today encouraged you. See you again soon.